This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Which is more important? This is serious. I need your attention, please. Which is more important? Fruity jelly beans or spiced jelly beans? No, we're going to do this. is America. We're going to vote. Okay? Those in favor of fruity jelly beans. Mmm. More sinners here than I thought. <laughs> Those in favor of spiced jelly beans. Thank you. Oh, okay. Which one's more important? More important. Okay, good. More. Now, okay. It's getting real. Ready? More important. Jelly beans or chocolate? Ah, oh, yeah. Mm, I know, right? Preacher's bringing it. Hold on. I'm getting there, Matt. I'm getting there. Fan of the jelly beans. More important. Chocolate. <laughs> no? Matt, what's more, what's more important, Matt? Reese's or jelly beans? Reese's. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Jelly beans. Yeah. 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 Some things are more important than others. Here's one. Which one is more important? Because we have a lot of young people here. I want to hear you. Okay. Easter ham or Easter baskets? Which one's more important? Those in favor of the Easter ham? Parents. <laughs> Easter baskets. Yeah, yeah. So I, was, I thought that this might be the way it goes. How about this one? One more. Which one's more important? Eating dinner on the Easter china or chinette? Because no one wants to wash the dishes. Which one's more important? The fancy china or eating on the chinette? Chinette? Yeah, right? Because you just, just throw it away and let's get back to watching the Ten Commandments. That's what I'm talking about. Some things are more important. But what's most important? What's most important? Lots of things in relationship to the but what's, what's the most important thing? Because it can only be one. There can only be one most important thing. And that's what I, I want us to drill down on this morning. If you could take out your Bible, uh, if you brought one with you, we'll have the verses. Curtis will bring some verses up on the screen if you want to follow along. There's also Bibles located in the seats in front of you if you know how to get your way around through there. Uh, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're watching online, we'll make sure that you can uh, see the verses too. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes about the most important thing. Let me read these verses to you. This is verses 1 through 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10. Now I would remind you, brothers, means siblings, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to read that for us again. Sometimes when you get a lot of words and a lot of content real fast, it can be hard to focus on any one part of it. But just to help you to be familiar, I'm going to read through that passage again, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10. You can follow along up on the screen or follow along or just listen to my voice. Careful, it's been known to put people to sleep. <laughs> now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That means passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What's the most important thing? He says, I need to remind you of something. The Apostle Paul was a teacher and a church planner and a messenger. That's what apostle means, a sent one, to bring the message of Jesus to others. And he's writing to a church that struggles. And he says, I need to remind you of something. To remind means you had something, but you've let it escape your grasp. You knew this or know this, but you've gotten distracted somehow. This was a church that had gotten distracted a lot. It was distracted by its culture. It liked its culture. It wanted to enjoy the culture that it was in. It loved the lamestream media. It loved the social media. It had bit it hook, line, and sinker and embodied all of the values that were surrounding it. It was very distracted by its culture. It was diluted it was a church diluted. You know what diluted means, right? You guys remember how you used to make orange juice out of the orange juice concentrate? You get the cans. You guys remember that? You, some of you? Yeah. You're my people. You're my people. 
And then you had to have, you'd put in the concentrate, then you had to pour in so many other, but my mom, because, you know, we can make the orange juice go a little bit farther, you'd add in a couple more cans than maybe the recipe called for, but it would also dilute out the orange juice. Sure. The kids right now are like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Go home and listen to your LPs. This church had gotten diluted by sin. All that it was supposed to be had gotten diluted by making sinful choices and commitments. And there wasn't much distinction between the church and what was outside the church. Marriages had got diluted. Parenting had got diluted. Work ethic had got diluted. Holiness had gotten diluted. It was not distinct anymore. It was a distracted church. It was a diluted church. And unfortunately, it was a divided church. Not over jelly beans and chocolate. Not over peanut butter cups or jelly beans. But it was split down ethical lines at times, down religious lines. Kind of sounds like the church in America a little bit, doesn't it? And so to this church, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, you need to be reminded of something. There's something that you had a hold of at one time, but you've gotten distracted and diluted and divided over other things. Can I remind you of the most important thing? The most important thing. And he says it's these things. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. The most important thing is to remember that Jesus Christ died for our sins, meaning that there is some substitutionary aspect to what Jesus did upon the cross. It's a must-happen kind of thing. This needed to occur. It's a message that's rooted all throughout Scripture. If you grew up in church in flannel graphs and Sunday school class, Maybe you remember the story of the Exodus. Or maybe you're going to go home and watch the Ten Commandments this afternoon. All four hours. Charlton Heston, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dope up on deviled eggs and watch the Ten Commandments. It's just going to happen. My parents, my family knows it. My kids know it. Everyone knows this is what's going to happen. But there's this moment in the Ten Commandments where these people are to be set free by God. They're in slavery. They're in bondage. Pharaoh will not let them go. And in a sacrificial act, a lamb is sacrificed and the blood is spilled upon the mantle of the doors so that death passes over and the people can be set free. Jesus had to die for our sins to set us free. Or a little bit closer to home to the Easter story. Here Jesus is, Good Friday. He's appearing before Pilate. Pilate wants to set him free. The guy hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Pilate knows it. Pilate knows this is all politics. This is all politics. This is all messaging. This is all people who are jealous over Jesus' popularity. And he comes to the people and Pilate says, Hey, I have this habit. I set someone free at this time of year. Would you like me to set Jesus free? No, you we want him to crucify. Crucify Jesus. Set Barabbas free. Barabbas was a traitor, a criminal, guilty of treason, sedition. Barabbas was set to be killed. In fact, his cohort was going to be crucified next to Jesus in a few hours. 
But instead of Barabbas being crucified, Jesus is crucified in his place. The most important thing is to hold on to Jesus died for our sins. And he was buried. That's what the Apostle Paul says. You need to remember that he was buried. Why is that like a big deal? Well, because people like to make this thing about, well, they just made it look like he died. And they made it look like he rose again. No, he was buried. And there was an entire cohort of Roman soldiers that stood outside of the tomb, sealed. Lest people try to communicate and falsify the fact that he had actually died. But to know the story is to know that Jesus came out of the tomb. Three days later, he rose again, according to the scriptures. The most important thing, he rose again. If you were to read this in Luke, there's three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let me just read it for you. This is a good Easter passage. Luke 24. Hear these good Easter Resurrection Sunday words. Luke 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <coughs> these aren't Beatles, these are gospel writers. Luke 24, 1 through 8. These are good words. On the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Some of you have on your dazzling apparel. You look good, guys. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. The Apostle Paul says to this group of believers that had gotten distracted and deluded by sin, divided over petty things. The most important thing, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And then he says, and he appeared. He appeared. First he says he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is another word for Peter. Peter is often listed first amongst the disciples, the apostles, the twelve. First he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. And then it says, then he appeared to 500 others at one time. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the other apostles. And then, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Well, I thought about that. Why the big deal about all the people that Jesus appeared to? I mean, imagine, if you will, that we have a court setting and there's a judge and you need to make a case. And so what do you do? You bring forth witnesses. How many witnesses are you going to bring forth? Oh, two or three would probably get the job done, right? No, 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 no. You've lined up over 500 witnesses to testify to the reality. I saw Jesus. 
I saw Jesus. Peter comes in and he testifies. I saw him. I saw him alive. I saw him die. I saw him buried. And I saw him alive. Then the other apostles come in and they testify one after the other, after the other, after the other. Then the other witnesses, one of 500, two of 500, three of 500. Yes, some of them had passed away. It says they'd fallen asleep, but many of them were still alive. I saw Jesus. 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 And then one of his own family members, if anybody could recognize Jesus, it'd be his half-brother, James, right? James, who's a pastor of the church at the time. I saw my brother. I saw my brother. Other leaders in the community. And then the Apostle Paul said this. And then, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. I often struggled to understand what that meant. I'd always thought that that meant that uh, untimely born meant that because the Apostle Paul started his ministry sometime after the others did, that that's what he meant when he said, appear to one untimely born. But that's not what that phrase means. I started to study it a little bit before our time together today. What it means is the Apostle Paul was saying of himself, I am no different than a preely, premature, stillborn child. The Apostle Paul is speaking to his condition. He says, I am no different. I bring nothing to the table, nothing more than a premature, stillborn child that has no life, that has no capacity, that's born out of place and born without life. He's speaking of his condition. The Apostle Paul is talking about, I bring nothing. I'm useless. <coughs> but then not just his condition. The Apostle Paul talks about his actions. His actions. He says, I am unworthy to be an apostle. I'm unworthy to be a message carrier of the gospel. Because I persecuted the church. The Apostle Paul, before becoming the Apostle Paul, was a religious zealot for the Jewish community an emissary, an assassin, an ambassador for the temple. He hated Jesus. He hated those who would follow Jesus and would leave behind the Jewish faith. He would carry legal documents that empowered him to hunt down followers of Jesus to have them arrested and executed. And this is a part of the Apostle Paul's story that he struggles with his entire life. Maybe, brothers and sisters, you have things that you might struggle with your entire life. That's okay. Keep grace close. Keep grace close. But the Apostle Paul wrestles with his actions. He says, I persecuted God's church. I hunted down God's children. I had them arrested. The beginning, our first introduction to the Apostle Paul in the Bible is at the martyrdom, the murder of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stephen gets up to teach to the community who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and he lays out the entire story throughout Scripture. And it so enrages the community because the gospel will do that. The gospel will make some people very angry. You, some of you this morning, are very angry. 
And they go to pick up stones and they drag Stephen out of the city to murder him. But before they throw their stones, they take off their coats and they lay them at the feet of Paul, who nodded his head approvingly. He hunted down followers of Jesus and he approved when they were murdered. So as the Apostle Paul wrestles with the first important thing, the most important thing that has become clear and appeared to him, he says, it's grace. It's grace. I'm no more than a lifeless child stillborn, a persecutor of the church, that God's grace would appear to me. What is grace? What is grace? This means gift. It's a gift. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. It's just given to you. God, in his gracious love and compassion, gives you the appearance he draws near to you despite your condition, despite your actions. And he says to the church, and you've forgotten this. You have forgotten that he appeared to you We'll dress it up. Some of you have dressed up. This is nice. Dustin, she dressed you up today, didn't she? She made you look nice. I, I like that's the fancy flannel. She wears it every holiday. Is that the, it's a holiday flannel. It looks good, buddy. Look, real, it, it, you look good in it. You only need one. You only need one. Yeah, yeah. She dressed me up. Too. Not your wife. She didn't dress My wife, she, I look and yeah, she dressed me up. She dressed all of us up. Yeah. Imagine if you will. And I don't mean to sound morbid, but I think it'll take the, the point home. Imagine, if you will, we have a premature stillborn child. If we put an Easter bonnet on it, would that breathe life into that child? If we put some fancy flowers around that child, would that breathe life into that child? You can make that child look as fancy on the outside as you want. Will that breathe life into the child? No, it will not. For those of you who are patriots... And I know we have some patriots, for which I'm thankful. Not, not New England patriots. I'm talking about God bless America patriots. The, the punishment for treason in the United States is what? Death. Death. Rightfully so. Right? Rightfully so. You have been convicted of acting against the state. You want to bring down the state. You're an enemy of the state. Punishable by death. So imagine, if you will, we're in the courtroom and we have the judge and the case has been made and the case has been proved. You're a traitor. But judge, I got my Easter suit on. I dressed up. Oh, then it's okay. You're fine. You're good to go. You've got your Easter suit on. You look nice. No, it doesn't matter what you dress up on the outside. It's grace, the gift of God, by which Jesus lays down his life. God receives that sacrifice, and we are set free. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. That means, vanity means empty. Paul says, it's changed my life. It's affected me. I live differently now because of the grace of God in my life. And so he says to the church, you need to be reminded of this. You've lost sight somehow. You've gotten off the path. 
You've gotten distracted and divided and deluded by sin. Can I remind you of something that's escaped you? Can I remind you of Easter? That Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. For some of you, this is all new. You're like, holy cow. I just, that's kind of what we do. We go to church on Easter. And then, you know, we go find eggs because that's what you do on Easter. Because Jesus said, go find eggs and remember me. (laughs) But for you, in this moment, the grace of God is drawing near to you. It's doing something in your heart that it hadn't done before. Receive it. Receive it. Receive that gift. Recognize, yes, in my corruption and yes, in my treason, I am not worthy of the grace of God, but it's a gift of God. I receive it. We'll give you a moment to articulate that in a little bit. But more so, because I see I've got a lot of church people here, and I'm thankful that you gathered with us this morning. You had received it. But for some odd reason, you let it escape you. You didn't hold on to it. You didn't hold on to it. You forgot the most important thing and replaced it with important things. What is it that makes this the most important thing? He says, he says, this is what saves us. This is what rescues us. I am glad that you're a hard worker. I'm glad that you put in the 40, 50, 60 hours a week for your family. I'm glad that you do those things. That's awesome. It's wonderful. It won't save you. I'm glad that you're a good spouse. I'm glad that you love your wife, that you love your husband. I'm glad that you are devoted to. That's wonderful. It will not save you. I'm glad that you're working on your education. I'm glad that you're making that a priority. That's wonderful. I'm glad. It will not save you. I'm glad that you're a nice person. There's not enough nice in the world. I'm glad that you are kind. Thank you for being kind. I'm thankful that you put nice things on Facebook and you don't get all political weird. Thank you. It will not save you. Because this is the most important thing. That he died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. So he says, hold fast to that. Brother and sister, hold fast to it. Remember Easter. Remember resurrection morning. Hold fast to it. I chuckle a little bit when Easter rolls around. I used to hate it. Oh, I used to hate this day so much. As a professional Christian as one who does what I have to do, because I tell you what, we used to exhaust ourselves putting together these giant elaborate productions and there was smoke machines and there were, you know, hot tea barista lattes and then the foyer and there were gifts and there were videos and it's just this big production of Easter and I hated it so much. Despised the day. Isn't it true though that every Sunday is the Lord's day? And every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. 
If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.